Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 as we continue in our series, The Story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And the title of the message today is Blessed by God. How many of you like that title? Blessed by God. How many of you want to be blessed? How many of you want to be blessed by God? How many of you have already been blessed by God? That's all you get. No, I'm just joking. God's blessings never stop. But we're going to take a look today at what does it mean to be blessed by God? What does being blessed by God look like? Try to fill in this blank, and you may have a number of things that will fill in the blank. But in this sentence, if you were to say, I would know that I have been blessed by God if... I mean, it'd be very easy to fill in the blank. So I know I have been blessed by God because, and you could make a whole list of all the blessings you've already received and experienced from God. But today, with whatever you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, how would you fill in that blank? I would know that I was blessed by God if. Now, I would venture to say we're probably going to go in a totally different direction than you think today, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your answer is wrong because it might fit within the grid work, the framework of what we're going to look at in this passage. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this very brief passage today in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 26. Talk about being blessed by God. And we're going to see what Jesus said about it in this context and see how well our ideas and concepts of being blessed by God line up with what Jesus taught his disciples in this specific situation. Before we read it, let me just give you a quick review in case you've not been with us all along as we've been working our way through the beginning of Luke. But Jesus has been traveling and ministering for a little while. Last week, we looked at the time that he spent all night long in prayer, specifically about who God wanted him to be closest to and who he wanted him to train the most, the disciples that would become apostles. And so after that night of prayer, he chose 12 of his many, many, many multitude of disciples and designated them to be apostles, disciples being learners, apostles being representatives, those that are sent out to do the work. We see that when he comes down off the mountain after having chosen those 12, a humongous crowd has gathered not only from the surrounding area, but from all over the country and even some people from outside the country of Israel to hear him teach, to experience his touch of healing and deliverance from demonic spirits. So after that time of ministry, it jumps into this time of teaching and that's where we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. Let's just read it all the way through and we'll jump into what God has for us today. And Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. Just stop there real quick. Did anybody fill in the blank when I said, you you know, fill in the blank, I would know that I've been blessed by God if. Did anybody put in there and say, if I became poorer than I am now? I didn't either. Take my hand down. Ooh, that's just a start. I won't stop for everyone. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Matthew has a list of beatitudes and blessings in the Sermon on the Mount, but he doesn't have the second part that Luke gives us. As we go on in verse 24, Jesus follows up these blessings with, Woe! But woe to you who are rich! 
for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Is this what you expected? When I started out talking about being blessed, being blessed by God, I want to be blessed, I've been blessed. And if I was this happened, then I'd know I was blessed. And is this what you expected? Now, some of you may have seen where we're going and you read ahead, so you kind of expected it. But whether you expected it or not, does it make sense to you? I mean, according to this passage, it says those blessed by God are the poor and the hungry and the weeping and the persecuted. And those who are not by blessed, uh, not blessed by God are the rich and the full and the laughing and the well-liked. It seems so backwards. It seems so backwards. If God has really blessed us, we should be full of joy. And that is true. But that we would anticipate being full of joy because everything's going well. We have everything that we need. We're not poor. You know, we're happy. We, we laugh. We enjoy life. We're not hungry. We have good friends. Now, everything I just said is half truth and half not. Not because I'm trying to deceive you. But because a lot of what I just said is a part of God's blessing on our life, but with certain qualifiers. Now, if I have thoroughly, not me, but what Jesus said here, has thoroughly confused you and made you think, what in the world is he talking about and how can that possibly be true? The good news is in the next little bit, we're going to get that all figured out, okay? So let's dig a little deeper into what Jesus said here and what he actually meant by what he said. Now, when I say what he actually meant, he meant what he said. But we have to understand what he said in the context of all of Scripture in the context of all the rest of his teachings and the teachings of his disciples and his apostles. So in the first half, Jesus pronounces blessings in verses 20 to 23. Who is Jesus speaking to? Notice that he is speaking specifically to his disciples. He's speaking specifically to those who are following him. Now, there are other people in the crowd that are not disciples. They've come to hear what he has to say. They've come to be healed. They've come to be delivered from demons. And Jesus loves them and he does that. He wants them to be his followers. But it says here he's speaking specifically to his disciples, to his followers. So I would also say that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He's speaking to you too. And he's speaking to me. But what might make this a little bit clearer is for us to understand what it meant to be a disciple for Jesus in that day. A disciple for Jesus was someone who left everything behind or was willing to leave everything behind for the cause of the kingdom of God. To follow Jesus, willing to sacrifice, willing to do, say, whatever, because they are committed to Jesus. They're committed to God. They're committed to his kingdom. And can I tell you that that should still be true? If we are true followers of Jesus, we should be fully and firmly committed to him no matter what it costs. We have to be very fortunate in that in our society, in our time in history, it doesn't seem anyway to cost near as much as it did. You see, these disciples are going to face terrible things as they follow Jesus. Maybe not right away, a little bit right away. But these disciples are going to leave family behind. These disciples are going to find themselves in a place of need. These disciples are going to find a lot of opposition against them. And they say, that's okay, because we're following Jesus. God, His kingdom, and His desires are more important to Jesus' followers than this world and all that it offers. So in that context, what does 
what Jesus said mean? Well, the first one in verse 20, the second half, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Let me just give you my understanding of what this means from my study and, 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 and the other passages in Scripture. This first one is the poor are those who are utterly dependent on God. You see, Jesus is not trying to say that there's some kind of inherent value to being poor. Just because you're poor, you're blessed. No, he's talking about an understanding of poor that all of his disciples would have had. And if you studied Scripture very long, you perhaps would get this understanding, and not just from Jesus' day, but from all the way through. You see, in their culture and throughout most and much, I should say much of history, there wasn't this wide spectrum of people on different levels of society. There was primarily the poor and the rich. There wasn't much in between. And usually, not always, but usually the rich were rich because of privilege and because they took advantage of the poor. And the poor many times could barely get by. They didn't have all the resources they needed. And when God intervened in history and revealed Himself, He said, those of you that don't have what you need, call on me, I'll take care of you. And so the poor that he's talking about here are the people who realize I don't have what I really need. And that can be in the financial realm, that can be in the material realm, that can be in an area, but it can also be on the inside. And they cry out to God and say, God, I'm looking to you because I don't have what I need. And I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm putting my hope in you. And I'm going to follow you. That's the idea what Jesus is saying here. The poor, those who recognize what they're lacking and they look to God for that. They're dependent on Him. They have to depend on Him because their lives are beyond their control and they have nothing and no one else to depend on. But Jesus gives a reason why they're blessed. He says, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And that clues us in, because just because somebody's poor, if they're not trusting in God, they're not part of the kingdom. They don't want anything to do with the kingdom. So he's talking to his followers. He says, listen, if you in your life don't have all that you think you want or need, you're lacking in some way, if you're trusting in God, just know that you're a child of God and you have the kingdom of God. And notice he doesn't say you will have... But you have it. He says, um, he says, yours is the kingdom of God. Not yours will be the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have the kingdom in its fullness yet. The kingdom when God takes over history and says, enough's enough. We're shutting down this mess and I'm making it right. But we do have some of the kingdom now. All that which is internal, all that has to do with our relationship with God and the work that He does within us. So the poor are those who are utterly dependent on God. Then we have the second one, the hungry. In verse 21, He says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. What did He mean by that? Did He mean that we need all need to go on a diet to really follow Him? That the closer we are to Him, the less we'll eat, the hungrier we'll be. No, this kind of goes along with the poor. The poor often didn't have very much to eat or not enough to eat or they just barely got by. But I would tell you that from my understanding of this, the hungry are those who go without for the cause of God's kingdom. And these are people that they could have a different life. They could have a better life, but they're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to give up. They're willing to go a direction where maybe it'll cost them something, but they're willing to do it because they're followers of Jesus. And they're working in God's kingdom in a very real, practical sense. Jesus' followers are going to face literal hunger because of religious persecution and harsh treatment by people in power under the enemy's control. You know, Paul wrote about all the things that he went through and all the things that he suffered in taking the gospel to the world, and he did it willingly and joyfully. But, you know, he talked about being beaten and being stoned and being shipwrecked. But he also talked, many times I was hungry. And he's talking about literal hunger. 
But as I said, it can talk about more than just doing without food. It can be doing without whatever, willing to sacrifice to follow Jesus and do what he calls us to do. And, and he says, you're blessed. Why are they blessed? He says, they're blessed because you shall be satisfied. In other words, you may suffer a little bit now. You may have to do without now. Okay, you may not have everything you'd really like to have now. But you know what? One day, you will be fully, completely, and eternally satisfied. You know, we even experience that, practice that in some practical ways. Now, there are times that we do without certain things so that we can have something later on, and it's worth it because our sacrifice now makes it possible to have something so much better later. That's kind of the idea behind here. The third one are the weepers. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, please understand, God's not against joy. God is actually the only source for true joy. Jesus was a very happy person, I believe. He's a very joyful person. He brought a lot of joy to people's lives. It's not the idea of joy or happiness that Jesus is saying that we shouldn't have. But again, when you look at this in context in the teaching of Scripture, let me tell you what I believe this is talking about. The weepers are those who sorrow because of sin's effect on the world. And not just the world around or the world out there, but being part of the world. Those who are sorry because of what sin has done to me. What my sin has done to me. And what my sin and other people's sin have done to the people around us. And to our world. These are people who don't live as if they don't have a care in the world. There are people that look out on the world and said, without Jesus, I am lost and helpless and hopeless. My sin has caused such destruction in my life. And the natural response, talking about followers here, is to come to Jesus and say, God, forgive me for my sin. It's caused such pain. We come to know Jesus as Savior. We follow Jesus. We become disciples. But we look out on the world, and yes, God brings joyful times to us, and we rejoice that God wants us to do that. Joy is a big deal in God's kingdom, even now, not just when we get to eternity. But our hearts break. Our hearts weep. Because we see people around us, people that we know and we love who are experiencing such heartache and brokenness and injustice and unfairness. I guarantee you every single one of us could make a list short or long of people that we love and care about. We know personally for whom they are suffering right now because of evil, the enemy, sin, and its presence and power in this world. I think what Jesus is saying here, when you truly allow God's heart to become your heart and your heart breaks for what breaks God's heart, you're blessed. You're blessed. Why? He says, blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. What he's saying is they're going to come a day. We can have joy now. We can have those moments and we should. But there's going to come a day when God's going to make everything right. There's going to come a day when God's going to right all injustices. There's going to come a day when there will be no more sin, sickness, sorrow, death. You know, Revelation talks about God wiping the tears from the eye because there's not going to be any of that stuff anymore. He said, "You're, you're mourning now. You've got the heart of God. And hopefully it motivates us to do what he wants us to do, to, to, to be God's representative in the world. But he says, but one day it's all going to be made right. And you will laugh and it will come from deep within and you'll be so filled with joy and it will never end. It will never end. And the last one are the hated. Blessed are you when people hate you, they exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. This one's a lot clearer, and to be honest with you, this gives more clarity to the previous three. This one, for me, the hated are those who are mistreated because of their faith. The people who say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what it costs, and it does cost, and part of that cost is being hated. It's being rejected. It's being reviled. It's being 
talked down to and talked down about in this time of history and through most of history and in other parts of the world today, it can even mean jail, beatings, being ostracized, being held back economic and economically and financially, and it can even mean your death. But Jesus says when people come against you because you're a follower of Jesus... When people come against you because of your relationship with God, you are blessed. Why? Because it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. He says, you shall be rewarded and your reward will be great in heaven. He says, take comfort in the fact that all of God's people who truly loved and served Him through history were treated this way. Especially, and he mentions the prophets, the men and some women too that God called to be His voice to their culture and they would speak up and said, this is what God says. And I'm sure they loved it when they brought a positive message saying, God says you've been doing pretty good. He wants to pour out blessing in your life and He's going to deliver you from captivity and He's going to do this, that, and the other. Those are the great messages. But unfortunately, because God's people were so rebellious, so given over to their sin and worship of other gods and idols, Many times those prophets had to stand and say, God, and say, God is not pleased. You've rejected Him. You've walked away from Him. You're not loving Him. You're not serving Him. Punishment is coming. Discipline is coming. There's going to be a famine. There's going to be this. There's going to be an enemy that comes and conquers you. And ultimately it meant being taken into exile. But God never gave up on His people. But nobody likes a messenger who brings doom and gloom. So when you study the lives of the prophets, you find that most all of them were rejected and mistreated and thrown in jail and some were killed, and but they were faithful to God. We may never face something exactly like that, but as we follow Jesus, we will very probably be mistreated. In fact, you know, we love to claim the promises of God, especially the promises of Jesus, but I've jokingly said many times, there's one promise of Jesus, I don't know of a single Christian that claims, and that is Jesus' promise that in this world you're going to have trouble. I mean, when was the last time you said, Jesus, you know what, I believe in your promises, I've not been having near enough trouble, and you promised I would, so give me some more. We don't claim that one. But Jesus said, in this world, if you're living for Him, you're following Him, you're going to have some trouble. Paul said, anybody, everybody who really tries to live a godly life and follow Jesus is going to face persecution. But Jesus says, you're blessed. In fact, that's a reason to rejoice. You've got some wonderful things to look forward to. Now, let me just throw this in. I didn't even have this in my notes, but it just came to me. Unless we have the idea of like, well, God, why do you let your people be treated so badly? It's part of being in a sinful, fallen world, trying to get them to see God and come to know Him. And God did not allow this stuff to happen to us without taking some of the cost and the price and the sacrifice and the suffering on Himself. Because you see, God Himself came to the earth. Jesus Christ suffered way more than we probably will ever even think about suffering so that people could be saved. So he doesn't ask us to go through and to deal with things that he holds himself aloof from. So that's the blessings. That's that's the blessings. And then we see in the second half of our passage, Jesus pronounces woes. Now, you may think of woes as being kind of like curses, you know, because we think of blessings as God's going to give us something special. So woes must mean God's going to do something bad to us. And sometimes it can kind of have that idea, but that's not the meaning that is here. Have you ever heard that phrase like, woe is me? You know, what do we mean by that when we say that? We may not actually say that. That's not really a contemporary uh, comment. But if we were to say, woe is me, what does that mean? Oh, man, things are bad and I feel sorry for myself. And to be honest with you, I really think that that's what Jesus has here. He's not saying, you know, if you don't do all these things, God's going to blast you. He's not going to bless you. He's going to blast you. He's put a curse on you. You're in trouble. You're going to hell. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. That's not what that's saying. 
I think it has the idea, and it's used that way in Scripture, is that you're not going to experience all of God's blessings and how terrible that is. And the situation you're in may look good, but it's not. And I feel sorry for you. I mourn for you. I believe with all my heart God mourns for those who have rejected Him and are headed the wrong way because they're going after the wrong things. And His heart breaks. And He says, woe to you. You've missed it. You've missed it. You, you're, you're, you're going after the shiny bobble, the thing that looks so good, and you're missing the thing that really means something. Woe to you. How terrible that is. I have compassion. I mourn for you. And can I say, may God give us that same, that same heart that we see people and sometimes in our flesh it's like, I wish I had what they had. But we see the end result and may our heart break and say, but God, you know what? Really, I'm glad I don't because they're going the wrong way and it's not going to last. And one day they'll look back and say, why did I ever go that way? Why did I ever pursue that? Why did I spend all of my time and energy and effort and money on that? Because it's gone and gone forever. That's kind of a summary of what the four things that he says. Who is it that Jesus is speaking to? Well, he's speaking to this crowd again. You know, he's talking to his disciples, but there are other people that are there and he's giving warning here. You want to be blessed? Well, just realize it's going to cost you something, but it's worth it in the end. But you know what? There's another life out there. And if you're tempted and give into that to pursue that kind of a life, it may seem good at first, but it's going to be a problem. And there are probably people out in the crowd that this is the kind of life that they were pursuing. This is the kind of life that they were experiencing. And he's warning them. He's saying, you'll be better off to follow me. In general, who's he talking to? The people that love the world more than Jesus. The people who live for themselves rather than God. So let's look at these four things real quickly. He says, blessed. I'm sorry, not blessed. Dealt with that already. But woe to you who are rich, for you received your consolation. Now again, please keep in mind, Jesus is not against riches, wealth, money. If you've listened to me preach for very long at all, if that was the case, we'd all be in trouble because all of us are rich. Every person in this room is rich. Saying, no, I'm not. Yes, we are. Compared to 90-something percent of the world, we are rich. Compared to most of the people throughout history, I don't care what culture you look at, we are rich. Because the great massive majority of people that have ever lived in history only had enough to make it through day by day. If you got more food in your house than you need just for today... If you got more than one change of clothes, if you have a house that keeps out all the... I mean, we are rich. And so God's not against the rich. He's against... He, he feels this sorrow, this woe for what riches can do to people. So what is he saying here? Here's where I perceive it. Number one, the rich are those who rely on self rather than God. There are some rich people in the Bible that became believers. I think of Zacchaeus. I think of some other people that they had wealth and they followed Jesus. And Jesus in Scripture indicates they did it very, very well. And God gives instruction through Paul and Timothy to says, you know, tell the rich that are in the church. So there's rich people in the church. He says, tell the rich people in the church that God has given them those riches, those resources to enjoy. But that's not the primary purpose but it's to do the work of the kingdom. But you know, there's some other teaching there too. Jesus even said it's very difficult for the rich people to get into heaven. Is it because they're rich? No. It's because they're living for their riches rather than for God. They're dependent on their riches instead of God. You see, this thing is just the opposite of the poor. The poor are like, I don't have, I'm God, I'm totally dependent on you. This is talking about the rich that says, I don't need God. I got everything I want. I got everything I need. Or maybe I don't have all of it, but I got enough and I'm going to get more. These are the rich who rely on themselves rather than on God. They have this sense of independence. I don't need God. 
So they're distant from God and many times it leads to a callousness toward people. And as I said, throughout much of history and in many cultures, the rich have gotten rich because of the oppression of the poor. I'm not trying to preach some kind of social gospel or some social message here. I'm just telling you the way it's been. It's not always that way. There are some very rich people that are very generous and God's blessed them with riches because they use it right and they bless other people. Happiness is their life's goal. They rely on riches rather than God. And, and so why does God pity them? Why does He say, oh, whoa, I, I feel so bad for you. Why does God look at these rich who have so much and feel so badly for them? He says, basically, because that's all you're going to get. Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. He said, you have pursued things. You have pursued wealth. You have pursued power. You have pursued popularity. We're going to deal with that a little bit later. And you've gotten it. But you're doing it without me. You're doing it as you run away from me. You've got it. You might as well enjoy it because that's all you're going to get. Once you're dead, it's done. There's an old saying, I'm sure you've all heard, you don't see any hearses pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. The enjoyment they have in life is the only enjoyment they will have for eternity. I heard a saying a number of years ago, and it really stuck with me. For those of us who follow Jesus, and Jesus is our Savior, we got a relationship with God, this world is all the hell we will ever experience. But for those who choose to reject Jesus and the salvation He offers, this world is all the heaven they will ever experience. God says, you think you've got it all, but that's all you're going to get. The second one, He talks about those who are full. He says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Uh, This doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to have what we need. He's promised to give us what we need. What's the idea here? For me, this is the fool are those who live for what the world offers. These are people who totally ignore God and say, I'm going to get what I want. I mean, they're closely related. They're all closely related together. All the blessings are closely related together. All the woes are closely related together. They're meant to be two opposites, opposites of two different sides of a coin. But these are people who ignore God and place their hopes solely on the good life here in this world. They have no need for God. They don't even want God because I'm living large. I'm doing good. Why does God say woe to those? Why does He pity them? Why does He mourn over them? Because they lack what's most important and they will never have it. You know, I think all of us have probably lived enough to know that, you know, you can have a lot of money and it still doesn't totally satisfy You can have everything you ever want and it still won't totally satisfy. You say, but yeah, but it makes life a lot better. Yeah, it might make life a lot better. This life. But what about eternity? If we put all our hope and all our effort and all our energy and everything that we want, need, desire in what we want, need, and desire and getting it and ignore God, where does that leave us? We're full. But one day we'll be hungry because it won't last past this life. Let's go on. The third one, the laughers. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. This is all associated together. You know, like I said, Jesus isn't against joy and happiness and laughter. I believe Jesus laughed a lot. But the attitude he's talking about here, these laughers are those who treat eternal things lightly. And as they go through life, I got what I want, I got what I need. Well, maybe not all of it, but I'm getting it, and life's good, and you know, that, that spiritual stuff, that God stuff, huh? no, that's not for me. And it almost has kind of an attitude of mocking and, and that kind of stuff. And, and the word laughter in Scripture many times is used in that way, the people who laugh at God. The people who laugh at God's plan, God's purpose, God's life, God's restrictions, God's, uh, God's uh, requirements... God's guidance is like, no, I've got it all. I'm doing good. I'm getting more. I'm enjoying life. I've got what I want. I got what I need or I'm getting it. And you know, that spiritual stuff, no, no, that's not for me. It's a superficial thing. Can include laughing at others. Look at them. They don't have what I've got. 
They're going, they're going the wrong direction. They're just headed for more trouble. Those are followers of Jesus. That's the kind of laughing it's talking about. So why does God woe? Why does he mourn? Why does he pity them? Because their happiness and satisfaction is very short-lived. It's very short-lived. And the last one, number four. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now again, this is not like a blanket statement where God says everybody should look down on you, everybody should speak badly of you. We know that's not true because he said that especially the leaders of the church, the elders are people that you should choose from. He's got this list of qualifications and one of them is that they are well thought of. Okay? And to be honest with you, among other believers, we should be living such a life that as we look at each other, it's like we can cheer each other on. You're doing good. You know, I can see where God's at work in your life and we think well of each other. What is he talking here? The key is in the word all. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. These are the well-spoken of. The well-spoken of are those who live for the approval of others. And that's a pressure for all of us. We all want to be liked. We all want to be approved. We all want, you know, that's just what we want. And we, we hate it. Most of us hate it. Some people live for it, I guess. But we hate it when somebody's upset with us. We hate it when we feel like they misunderstood me. Uh, so there's a problem between us. Popular with all people. What happens, and and maybe we fall into this trap, what happens when we desire and put all our effort into pleasing other people? It becomes very difficult to please God. And that's really what this is all about, the desire to please people instead of God. And if you're going to sacrifice, you're going to sacrifice on pleasing God so you can please people. The Bible has a whole bunch of truth about God-pleasers and people-pleasers. And you guys are familiar with the concept. People-pleasing. When our desire and our focus is primarily pleasing people instead of pleasing God, it leads to compromise. It leads to denying the truth. It leads to waffling back and forth. It leads to hypocrisy and immorality and just disobeying God because you can't obey God and please everybody. And totally apart from that, you can try as hard as life, but you can't please everybody all the time. You know, Abraham Lincoln is quoted as having said that. It's actually an earlier quote that he adapted for a speech he gave. But the truth is there. You can please some of the people some of the time, all the people some of the time, whatever. But you can't please all the people all the time. But there are so many people that try so hard. Why does God pity them? Why does God say, woe to you? He says, well, that's what your fathers did to the false prophets. In other words, the false prophets were the ones that were speaking God's word. And they came against them. And therefore, earned God's disapproval. In other words, if the focus is, if the purpose of your life is to be approved and accepted and loved and popular with everybody, you don't have the approval of God. Because you don't even seek the approval of God. You're more concerned about what everybody else thinks. So what can we take away from this? You know, we've got this world's idea of blessedness and it's crept into the church a little bit. That God loves his children. He wants them healthy, wealthy, and wise. Can I tell you, God loves to bless his children. And he even loves to bless his children sometimes with temporary things. But that's the, not the main focus. The world's idea of blessedness is good circumstances, having whatever I want with things and enjoying things, pleasure, success. It's all external. But God says, instead, I want you to be blessed. What does this word blessed mean? In Scripture, it's more than happiness. It means that you have been favored and approved by God. And it involves peace and confidence and joy and soul satisfaction and contentment. It's all internal things. Probably most of us experience that. We can have the world falling apart around us and we're in need, but because we're trusting in God, we just have that joy and that peace and that contentment. It's hard to hold on to, but it's available to us. You know, I was wrapping up 
going over this message this morning and I was having my time of devotions where I pray and read God's word and, and every day as part of my devotions, I pray for one of the missionaries we support. I've always encouraged you guys to do that too. Get a list, whatever, pray for one. Next day, pray for the next one, whatever. And so I was praying for one of the missionaries we support. And then another thing I picked up a couple of years ago, I got the list of the top 50 countries where believers are persecuted. And I pray for one of those nations and the believers in those nations every single day. I don't say that to glorify me. I'm just saying that's a good thing to do. Pray for your brothers, sisters in the world that are suffering persecution. We are so blessed here. And it just so happened I'd gotten to the bottom of my list yesterday, and it went back to the top of the list. And number one is North Korea. I don't know how much you know about what Christianity is like in North Korea. My understanding is that if they find out you are a Christian in North Korea, they're not just going to keep an extra eye on you or do all... They're immediately going to put you into a concentration camp and that's where you're going to live the rest of your life. And they're going to give you as little as possible to keep you alive. But we hear stories coming out of North Korea of believers who are hiding Bibles in the prison. I don't know how they get them in there. And when they can gather together in their barracks without the guards knowing, they'll have a time of worship and they worship. And I think sometimes we think we have it so hard living for Jesus. You see, we live in a culture and in society in a time in history right here where we are where it's so easy to live for Jesus. For most of history, for most of believers, it's not been near as easy as it is for us. And to be honest with you, because of that, we face a danger. We face a danger as believers today in America that the believers in North Korea don't face. What is that danger? Compromise. Living half and half. Trying to have the best of both worlds. And I'm not saying that if you try to do that, you're not a Christian anymore. But we're going to miss out on all God has for us here and in eternity when we try to live the best of both worlds and we're willing to compromise because, you know, it's we can do it. You know, in North Korea and so many other places, you can't just say, well, I'll be a Christian sort of. No, you're either a Christian or you're not because you don't want to be a Christian unless you're going to go wholehearted because of what it can mean for you. I've said many times, I've said most of my adult life, that one of the best things that could ever happen for the church in America would be for great persecution to break out. I don't pray for it. I don't want it. But it would cause us to get serious. And can I tell you that this is what Jesus is saying? If you really want to follow me, get serious. There's blessings in it. Yeah, it may be a rough life in some ways. You may have to give up some of the things that you'd rather hold on to for the cause of the kingdom. But you're going to be so blessed. Here and now, but especially in eternity. We talk about the rich versus the poor. The poor being blessed, the rich being cause of woe. It's not really about the money, but it's about the dependence on God. So as you look at your life, I've said you're rich. You may not feel rich because compared to others, you're not. But are you dependent on God? Or are you dependent on what you have? The fool versus hungry, it's not really about need, but what you satisfy your need with. What do you satisfy your needs with? The things of this world or your life with Jesus? The laughing versus weeping isn't really about sorrow or joy, but about what breaks your heart. What most breaks your heart? When the air conditioner breaks down and you got to come up with some extra money to pay for it, so now you can't do that vacation that you want or whatever? Or is it all of the injustice and the sorrow and the heartbreak that there is in the world in general and the people around us because they're without Jesus and sin has had such an evil effect? What breaks your heart? What do you weep over? The well-spoken of versus the persecuted. It's not really about whether people like us or not. Whether people approve of us or not, but does God approve of us? Do we live in such a way that if people approve of us or disapprove of us, I don't care either way as long as God approves of me. If I'm living for Him and He approves of me, if people like that because they're like-minded or whatever, even if they're not and they like me, great! But if they don't, I don't care because God approves. 
God approves. We see here that God rewards what the world despises and rejects what the world admires. So as I wrap this up, let me just, let me just give you some things here. First of all, if you're going through a tough time, you are trying to live for Jesus. You may not, you probably don't do it perfect because none of us do, but you're trying to live for Jesus and it seems like no matter how hard you're trying, things keep going wrong. You may wonder, God, where are you at? I don't understand this. This passage teaches us that God knows what you're going through. I'm sorry, there's something going on in our family right now that this fits. God knows what you're going through. And He's on your side. Continue to be faithful. He's going to make things right. Maybe not as quick as you'd like. Some things won't be totally right until eternity. But you keep following Him. This life isn't all that there is. We're going to have eternal restoration and reward. It means that we should be willing to sacrifice for His cause. But God will reward us, so be encouraged. Another thing we draw from this is that God honors those whose commitment to Him brings hardship, suffering, and sorrow. I like this quote, God affirms the dignity of people whom the world treats as trash. If you are suffering, if you have given up things for the cause of Christ, don't ever doubt whether it was worth it or not. It is. It is. Let me give you two last thoughts and we're done. The title is Blessed by God. This is something we all need to wrestle with, even as believers, to make sure that we're putting our energy and efforts 100% in the right way. God's blessings fully satisfy. The world's blessings don't. God's blessings fully satisfy. The world's blessings don't. And here's the most important one. God's blessings are eternal. The world's blessings are temporary. Let me ask you this. Who are you living for? Yourself or God? And it's a constant battle for all of us that are trying to live for God to to do that to the best of us, you know, wholeheartedly because we still have our lives, we still have our needs, our desires. Who are you living for? Yourself or God? And what are you living for? Your kingdom or God's kingdom? I was telling some people before the service, this is a hard message to preach. Not because it's hard for me to get up and talk about it. But it's a heavy one. But can I tell you that God doesn't mean for it so much to be heavy. It's just for us to examine our lives and say, how well are we really following Jesus? And maybe if you're here today or you're watching online, you're not following Jesus at all. And maybe you're realizing, you know what? I'm pursuing the wrong stuff. I'm actually kind of enjoying life or I've got a lot of things. But you know what? Without Jesus, there's a lot of people who don't believe all this, so they don't care. But I can't help but believe that maybe there are some of you, God's dealing with your heart right now to say, you know what? You need Jesus. You've been living for yourself, for what you can buy, for what you can get. You've been pursuing the great American dream. And maybe you'll live 20, 30, 40, 50 years and have some great times, but then what? And God would say, come to Jesus. Doesn't mean he's going to rip all that stuff away from you, but start living for him and not just for yourself. Don't fall prey to the world's temptations to live for the wrong things. Let's, as believers, stop trying to have the best of both worlds and just say, God, here I am. Everything I have, everything I am, it's yours. I give it to you. Show me how you want me to use it for you. Show me how you want me to use it for you. Another teaching we'll get to eventually. Jesus says, when we do that, we store up treasure in heaven. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our elders that are present to come. My wife is in kids' church today, in case you're wondering where she's at, so she's not here. We're going to be here available for prayer. We're going to sing that song, I Surrender All. And if you need prayer for yourself or for anything else, I'm going to invite you to come so we can pray with you. But other than that, I encourage you to make this song your response. But just singing it doesn't do any good. You have to mean it. We sang the song last Wednesday night. I said, if we're going to be honest in singing this song, most of the time we have to sing, I surrender some. Or I surrender most. It's a wrestle to be able to sing, I surrender all. Let's take a couple moments to sing that song. If you want prayer for anything, come. I'll be back in a moment to close our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray.
that those words would be something we really mean. It's something we're going to have to wrestle with and live out the rest of our lives. Some days we'll do better than others. God, I thank you for your word today, Lord. It was, it was a heavier message. But God, I believe you're calling us to a deeper level of commitment and walk with you. And what goes with that, Lord God, is not just a deeper experience of your blessings in our lives, Lord God, here and now, but especially in eternity, but a greater usefulness for you, Lord God, to make a better, a, a bigger, better difference in our world, in our family, in our workplace, in our school. And God, our heart rebels. Our flesh rebels. We want things. We want pleasure. We want people to like us. We want, we want, we want. God, change our desires. Help us to want you and all that you have for us. Show us what that means day by day. And God, I thank you that it does mean blessing. Lord, it's not doom and gloom. We have to be miserable in this life. You bless us here and now with your peace and your joy and fantastic relationships in the body of Christ. And God, we have heaven and you and all that that means. Oh, Father, thank you. I pray as we leave this place today that you would help us to walk closely with you this week to be your ambassadors to our world, to make a difference for your kingdom. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 